The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. A big, heaping bowl full of thanks to all of you guys that continue to rate and review the podcast, and that's how I wanted to open the show today, right out of the chute. A big, fat thank you for all that you guys have done to make this show as popular as it's become. We're over 460 ratings. 462 now? That's crazy. Absolutely crazy. We haven't had any new ones that were uh, written, so nothing nothing funny to read to you guys today. But, I mean, man, when it got to 462, I thought, I got to say something right at the beginning of the show. So big thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Again, please do take a moment to open up the podcast app on your mobile device. Use the search feature. It's really weird. Like, I can't figure out how to do it. I subscribe to my own show, and I've tried to figure out where the rate and review is when you're going through your own library, and it's incredibly hard to find. I've discovered the easiest way continues to be just searching for Fantasy NBA Today and then clicking on the show title and scrolling down to the bottom that way. So please do that on your smart device. If you've already done it, do it on your spouse's smart device. Do it on your kid's smart device. Whatever it takes, man. Whatever it takes, let's get there. Thank you. I say again, thank you. This is Fantasy NBA Today. I am Dan Vespers. It's Thursday. I don't know that Thursday is always going to be a slightly shorter show, but I'm going to say it, and I'm damn it, I'm going to stick to it today. We're going to go a little bit shorter. Wasn't yesterday a great one? We've had a good week on Fantasy NBA Today. Scissor Day with Josh on Tuesday. Brandon and I getting into all the weird indefinite tag players on yesterday's show. I felt like it was in the moment, but I actually really felt like that segment we did haggling to get rid of Carl Anthony Towns was kind of cool. I hope you guys liked that as well. We still don't have any idea when that dude's coming back. But anyway, not the point. Nothing huge that happened. Well, one relatively large thing. I guess we'll wait and find out. We'll go with the the lead story here. And we can do it because it's one of the first games from the Wednesday results. So let's just start breaking things down. And I want to start with Philly-Cleveland. Because certainly the story of yesterday is Joel Embiid who sprained his shoulder and is set to undergo an MRI. We've been down this damn road before. Rashawn Holmes would be the most recent example of what they referred to as a shoulder sprain or a shoulder strain, and then suddenly it became a slight tear, and now we're on like a month and a half and still have no idea when that dude's coming back. The, I mean, the the sky has officially fallen on Philadelphia. Not that they ever win ball games on the road anyway, but Ben Simmons possibly out the rest of the regular season. It's a nerve issue in his lower back. We don't know when he's coming back, if at all. And now we don't, I'm guessing we're not going to have much of a timetable for Embiid either. Joel got hurt early in this game, happened in the first quarter. So we got a pretty good idea of what this team's going to look like without Simmons and without Embiid. Kylo Quinn played 12 minutes, which isn't much, but he did block four shots, and we know he's a permanent monster. They also love to run Mike Scott out there for some goofball of a reason. But here's the thing. Al Horford's going to play center. He's going to get most of the center minutes on this team going forward, and then it's going to get built around him. 
So more than likely, Tobias Harris slides up and plays the four. Shake Milton is now basically the full-time small forward. Josh Richardson is more or less the full-time shooting guard slash point guard. And Furkan Korkmaz is going to see some time as a floor spacer. So is Alec Burks as a scorer, not much of a floor spacer. So is Matisse Thybulle. So is Glenn Robinson III. The clear winner in this is Al Horford. He was already, I thought, something of a winner when Ben Simmons went down. And now there's just nothing standing in his way. Because Simmons was seeing some time at power forward. That's gone. Now Embiid at center is gone. So Horford's going to play all the minutes his body can handle, which is, I don't know how many right now, but it's going to need to be a decent chunk. Shake Milton had 20 points, four boards, four assists, a block, and four three-pointers. He has shown the ability to do a little bit of stuff. And it's quite possible that he's now kind of staring down the barrel of about three or four weeks, potentially more, of reasonable production. Can we expect 20 points a game? No way. His career high is 27. It happened about a month ago. But there isn't much standing in his way either. And as is the case for many players in the NBA, if they're going to play 35 minutes a night, they're probably going to do something, something fantasy-related. We don't have a whole lot to go on with Milton. Obviously, his... You know, you could do a, a per-minute production type of analysis on the kid, but he played 13 minutes a game in only 20 games last year. He's played 25 games this year and averaging around 16 minutes a game. It's been much more recently that we've seen him claw his way into slightly more consistent playing time and largely because of injuries. So what do we know? Well, in 15 and a half minutes a year, uh, per game this year, he's averaging about 7 Two and two with just less than half a steal. The hell does that mean? Nothing. You can't extrapolate that to 35 minutes or 32 minutes or whatever it's going to be and assume that everything stays the same. You can't basically just double it and say he's going to be at 13 points, four boards, three and a half assists, and a steal, and two three pointers. If that was the case, that probably wouldn't really be enough. It's not all that impressive. The hope here is that his per 36s actually get a bump because a lot of his playing time so far this year has come when the team is mostly healthy. You know, subbing in for a Josh Richardson where guys like Embiid and Harris and Simmons were still out there soaking up all the usage. But now, all of a sudden, the only usage guy left on the floor is Tobias Harris. And that's even a stretch to call him a high-usage guy. But compared to the other guys on this club, he kind of is. So that leaves a lot, a lot of opportunity for a guy like Milton or Korkmaz or Thibault or whoever picks up the pieces. I think we'll see a pretty good stretch out of Josh Richardson here. So if you somehow manage to buy low on him and figure, oh, maybe I'll get top 100, you might get a little bit better than that. You might get something that more resembles Miami Josh Richardson because they're going to have to ask him to, well, run a lot of the offense. On the Milton front, 20 points, four boards, four assists is close to as good as it's going to get. From an averages standpoint, you can probably assume that he will be lower than that. 
I guess there's a possibility he could get to four rebounds and four assists many nights. That's not too insane. But 20 points is not going to be a consistent thing. 13, 14, 15, I would be more than happy with at this point. That's all you need. We don't really know much about his steals and blocks either. We don't have almost any data on that front. So I'm not bending over backwards to pick this guy up in every format. I think if you need a guy that can do a little bit in a few different things, that's fine. And if you're hoping that as he plays more, maybe we'll see more in the steals and blocks department, that's fine. But again, we really don't know. We just don't really know. All that to say, I'm fine with you guys picking him up, but I don't think he's going to blow the roof off the building. I think at the end of the day, he's going to be hovering in that big bunch of guys here at this strange time of the year that can have a good game and have a bad game. And if you stick with it, you hope it averages out to something probably end of the benchy. Meanwhile, on the Cleveland side, Andre Drummond was out with a calf issue. I have no idea if this is a long-term thing. It feels more like a rest day. You want to call it a tank game? You can, but they won. Truthfully, if that team wanted a tank, they would just play Drummond the entire ballgame because his effort level has been pitifully low lately. Larry Nance Jr., Tristan Thompson, vastly outplaying Drummond, so giving them extra run was good for the team. It allowed Colin Sexton to get back into his groove. He's been markedly better with Drummond off the floor. Larry Nance, 13-15 and 15 with a steal, three assists, and a three-pointer. He's been brilliant, and to me, must-start guy even when this team is fully healthy. Kevin Love somehow staying upright. Tristan Thompson, if he doesn't tank your percentages, he's a decent play, but he will, at some point, get to the free-throw line and soil himself. And then you've got Kevin Porter, who played 26 minutes. That's the good news. The bad news is he took only six shots, went 5-5-6 five, five, and six in this ballgame. And such is the consistency stuff that we were talking about on was that Tuesday's podcast, I think. Or Right? Yeah, I think that was two days ago. You want to pick him up, you can pick him up. I'm not, as I said then, I don't, I'm not fully there yet with him. With this team, Nance is a must. Love is a must. Yeah, you're holding on to Andre Drummond at this point. It's going to be a rocky bumpy road the rest of the way but he'll be okay unless they fully pull the plug and hopefully they'd tell us if they were doing that but I don't I'm not going to jump to that conclusion after missing one game with a calf issue on a terrible team that's effectively playing for nothing right now they're just playing to try to get their guys a little bit better Alfred Payton made his return for the Knicks and they lost anyway Payton six points nine assists six turnovers this was a uh, more vintage Payton game Hopefully he gets his legs back underneath. He hadn't played in about two weeks, so this is kind of his game after the All-Star break by all accounts. Mitchell Robinson has been quietly very good. I know everybody wanted to just clobber him this year, but Mitchell Robinson's number 53. He was probably overdrafted because of his hot run at the end of last season. Bought low on him maybe when he was out near the 110-115 range. And truth be told, if you took him... If he fell to the fourth round, that's not that far off. What did you take him at? Maybe 42, 43? By the time the draft came around, he's only a round behind that. That's okay. He's averaging his two blocks. Things are starting to come around for him a little bit. And then who cares about the rest of this thing? The one guy I've been watching is Mo Harkless just to see, but he only played 24 minutes, and that's never going to be enough for someone who abides by the Marvin Williams line 
the Marvin Thad line we talk about. He's got to play over 30 minutes or he's not going to get close to fantasy value. Not with the sub-10 usage that he can put up every night. Charlotte bounced back after getting clobbered in their previous game. Terry Rozier looked good, maintained his status somewhere inside the top 100. Bismack Biombo got the start with Cody Zeller getting a rest game. So that moved Willie Hernan Gomez back into that weird 19-minute reserve role. Devontae Graham missed a lot of shots but was decent enough. P.J. Washington was meh. Miles Bridges was bleh. It's a terrible fantasy team. I really, I really can't stand him. And then the guy who was coming on a little bit, Malik Monk was suspended for a drug of abuse. Indefinitely. Where you've even got the indefinite tag on drug suspensions now. It's everywhere, folks. But we did a little bit of reading on that. And the reason that it claws its way into that realm is because it's either it's a non-PED or marijuana situation. PEDs, there's a set suspension. Marijuana, there's a set punishment a drug of abuse is about getting them cleaned up. So I honestly don't know what to say about this one. I really, you know, he could, I, I don't know if he has to serve a, a minimum number. I haven't been able to find that. Does he have to miss a week? Does he have to miss a month? He was a guy that was actually rolling in points league formats. And so now we've got another decision on our hands. The Miami Heat have hit a little bit of a stumbling block here lately, took this game completely for granted, and crapped it away. Heat now have lost seven of their last ten ball games, including a rare defeat on their own court. I'll tell you, nobody wants that four seed in the Eastern Conference for some reason. Between the Heat and the Sixers and the Pacers, everybody's just losing. Things starting to separate a little bit out there. Top three in the East reasonable contenders and then it looks like everybody else is kind of fading whether it's injury or just general play in any event minnesota put up a buck 29 d'angelo russell he's got all the usage he can handle at this point malik beasley likewise all the usage he can handle and then there's the all the other guys that we've been keeping an eye on nas reed who looked like a really good fill-in option but has been dealing with severe foul trouble and i'll be honest with you guys and I said it on the real big three with Jonas and Bogman. I'm not that married to Nas Reed. I did drop him in a spot where I picked him up. James Johnson is actually putting up better numbers on a per-minute basis at this point. I don't know if either of those guys needs to be on a roster. And Juancho Hernan Gomez finally had a better efficiency game, but his fantasy overall stuff just isn't all that interesting. And so we wait on Carl Anthony Towns. Jimmy Butler came back for the Heat, so that was nice for those of us, ahem, my teams, that have him. Kelly Olynyk was still good in limited minutes. Bam Adebayo played through an ankle sprain and missed a bunch of free throws. And Duncan Robinson hit three three-pointers. He always finds a way to kind of salvage it, even when he has a bad ball game. Kendrick Nunn was decent enough, but I mean, listen, it, we're back to mostly full-strength Heat now, and so the guys you trust... Our Butler out of bio, generally Duncan Robinson if you need three-pointers. Lately, we've been watching Jay Crowder, who played 31 minutes again, five points, nine boards, three steals and a block. His steals and blocks right now are way over his career marks. Those are going to settle back in. Question is, and, and this is a possibility, we're so late in the season and there's so few weeks left that it's actually conceivable that Crowder might not regress to the mean before this season is done. 
he could just go on a month and change long run here of over his head defensive stats. It's a possibility. So while I've said it, I'm guilty of saying it, and the general view here is that Crowder at some point is going to come back to earth, it might not be this year. He could just stay hot for a month. He's probably been picked up in your league because he went on a a furious scoring binge right when he first joined Miami, that now cooling off a little bit over his last couple of ballgames, but it's those steals that have been totally crazy. He's 14 of them. He's averaging two steals a game with Miami, a number that, again, probably won't keep up. But it's a significant number. It's a big deal. If that's what you're hunting this time of the season, and you don't care about the fact that his percentages are generally terrible, they'll get you a couple threes also. I wouldn't advocate a pickup, but again, we're in specialist part of the year. Aaron Gordon has oddly come on here in the month of February. I generally clobber him. And for good reason. He's still sitting outside the top 150. But he's actually been pretty good lately. I think he has six games this month where he scored 20 points or more. He has five games of 10 rebounds or more. Another three games where he's grabbed nine boards. His assists have been around four and a half, five this month. He's getting steals and blocks. It's one of those things where most people probably stopped paying attention to his season because he had been so horrible for the first three and a half months. But over the last 30 days, he's actually inside the top 40. On averages of 19, 9, four and a half, one point two steals and .7 blocks, only one and a half turnovers, free throw percent of 71, which isn't good, but he's not killing you, and field goal of 46 and a half, which isn't good, but also not killing you. unexpected twist here late in the season those folks that kind of got stuck with Aaron Gordon all year are finally enjoying it for a little bit Mo Bamba double doubled with four blocks in 16 minutes I didn't see that one coming nor should we ever Evan Fournier scored 28 nothing really changes for the magic on a game-to-game basis they are who they are for Atlanta you know you know the the main story Trey Young John Collins have been brilliant this year but then it's all this other mishmash Jeff Teague, Cam Reddish, Kevin Herter, DeAndre Hunter. These guys are all fighting for the same table scraps now, and it's a huge pain in the ass. Reddish had 10 shots. Herter had a dozen. Hunter had eight. Seems like every night they're splitting 30 to 33 shots apiece. And who the hell knows which one of them is actually going to wake up on any given night. In this one, Reddish was slightly better than the other two, but none of them was any good, really. When you compare it to some of the numbers that guys were putting up, guys that could have been pickups or you know, if you're debating whether or not you want to throw Herder into the mix, I, I know I'm out on an island with this one because everybody's like, these guys are great. They're all doing great. I don't think that that's true. Captain Buzzkill at your service over here once again on Fantasy NBA Today. But to me, when this team is fully healthy, Herder, Reddish, and Hunter are all struggling. To stay above the cut line, you need one of them to be out for the other two to succeed. Addition by subtraction, but we're not there. Oh, well. Memphis continues to suck. They've completely fallen apart at the seams, and then injuries on top of it have really dealt them a a rough hand. The Blazers, two and a half games out of a playoff spot somehow. at seven games under 500. Grizzlies now two games under themselves. 
Kings, Pelicans, Spurs, Suns, they're all right there. While the Grizzlies are tumbling. Jonas Valanciunas was able to hang on in this ballgame. He had a double-double. And on this night, that was actually good enough. Slow-mo played 18 minutes. I don't know why he didn't see more. He was actually playing pretty well. And then the other guy we were watching, well, there ended up being a couple guys we were watching, but the one we were watching going into the ballgame was Gorgie Jang, and he just got run off the floor. It, I, this was, frankly, bad foresight on my part because I got so excited that I picked up Gorgie Jang in a couple of spots that I forgot to look in, at the opposition. And most days, they could just rotate him in and out of there, and everything is A-OK. But not this one. Not when the other team is rolling out P.J. Tucker and Jeff Green at center. That's not going to work for Gorgie. He can't keep up with those dudes. Luckily, he was able to just kind of hang on to value after a brutal first half. He was okay in the second half. And I think Jenk's going to be a really nice play here over the next couple of weeks. With no Brandon Clark for a couple of weeks, with no Jaron Jackson Jr. for a couple of weeks, Gorgie should be fine. The other guy that I wasn't really paying attention to, but now am, was DeAnthony Melton. He got the start in this game and was told, go try to slow down James Harden. It didn't work. Nobody was slowing down anyone on that Houston side, regardless of who the hell was on the floor. I'm actually tempted to say DeAnthony Melton is really more of a streamer at this point. Doesn't seem like he's going to have the usage to have the impact we were hoping for. He was still a trade deadline winner. His minutes have trended up. But the activity hasn't, and that's been a little bit of a letdown. Meantime, on the Houston side, Daniel House, who had been trending up in a big way, has now petered out. Some of it is the health of Russell Westbrook. He's back, and he's doing all sorts of stuff. Some of it is that Jeff Green and Damari Carroll exist. Some of it is that Ben McLemore exists. Some of it on other nights is when Eric Gordon's playing. There's just so many wings that if House isn't shooting the ball well or isn't fully engaged... They could just rotate somebody else in there. So I'm not sure that you really need to go beyond Westbrook, Harden, and Covington on this team. It feels like everything else, you're just reshuffling the deck every two nights. Move along, find something else. Spurs kept up with the Mavs relatively well, despite LaMarcus Aldridge missing this game with a shoulder deal, and a lot of it was DeMar DeRozan, who had 27, 8, and 9. But he didn't get a whole lot of help. Marco Bellinelli at 14-8. and eight. He's on my 30-deep team, but I don't think I started him. Why the hell would I? Kristaps Porzingis, he's played very well in the second half of the year. Dorian Finney-Smith had a, one of his better games. Luka triple-doubled. And that was more than enough for Dallas, who, again, mixed and matched. This was the one, if you went Dorian Finney-Smith and a little dash of Seth Curry, you picked the right two. Maxi Kleba was okay, but missed three free throws, and sort of, again, they'd... Another team that just shuffles the deck every couple of ballgames. Clippers put the clamps on Phoenix. Defensive struggle. Kawhi Leonard led the Clips. Marcus Morris. I told you guys he was going to be okay. Not great, but okay. And he was decent in this one. Patrick Beverly, Paul George were on a mid-20s minutes cap. I didn't start either of them, and I feel pretty good about that decision. I'll probably get him in for the next one, though. Ivica Zubats had been trending up. He's still got 20 minutes, which is good, but six points and five boards is not. 
Man, he just got beat up by DeAndre Ayton, frankly. Ayton had 25 and 17 with three blocks. He's been on a pretty nice run these days. Mikael Bridges, quality game. He'd been quiet lately. Ricky Rubio's been rolling. And Devin Booker ran into a buzzsaw shaped like, well, Kawhi or Paul George in this one, and he just couldn't get anything to drop. He'll be okay. Kelly Oubre sat this one out. Hopefully that is a short-term thing. But that may also explain why Mikael Bridges was a little bit better. And finally, Boston and Utah. There really isn't a whole lot to talk about on the Boston side. Jason Tatum's been insane lately, but otherwise they've been relatively predictable. For Utah, things have just been super weird. At about 2 in the afternoon, we got a report that Mike Conley was going to be playing off the bench and Royce O'Neal was going to be in the starting lineup. And then an hour later, another report came out of Utah that it was actually Joe Ingles that was going to move to the bench. Royce O'Neal was going to be a starter, and Conley would remain in the starting lineup, and that's how it went. What does it mean? Well, Ingles is still seeing plenty of minutes, but he just looks disinterested. Passive may be the better word for it. Donovan Mitchell, he's been taking a lot of shots lately. He's been heating up and, you know, chicken and egg kind of thing. Got hot, started to take more shots. I think Conley's going to be okay as long as he sticks as a starter. It's never going to be the Mike Conley of Memphis days, but he'll be all right. Top 100 is probably the goal at this point. And then Royce O'Neal, I don't care. He's in the starting lineup, but I couldn't care less. Short Thursday to preview, just four games on the docket. The Knicks on the back-to-back in Philadelphia. Oh, boy. Who the hell's going to win this ball game? Someone's got to. Philly, good at home, but missing all of their guys. The Knicks, terrible everywhere, but suddenly healthy again, for the most part. Fun! It's not fun. Sacramento and Oklahoma City, uh, Kent Bazemore. Harry Giles, pair of names to watch for the Kings. Giles stepping into a role here with the extended Holmes and Bagley absences. And then, of course, the trading away of Dwayne Dedman. And on top of that, the who the hell cares of Alex Len, who is in town now. But really, Bazemore is the, the, the thing here, right? Kent Bazemore has been... I don't say electrifying. That would be a bit of an overstatement, but he's been quite good lately. He's playing big minutes for the Kings at a couple of wing spots, which sounds eerily similar to wing stop. Four games in a row here for Bays. He's played at least 23 minutes, and, you know, you could go all the way back to that, that first game in Sacramento. He made the trip quickly. He's looked happy. He's looked locked in he's got a role they're encouraging him to be aggressive and the kings have actually won three games in a row including one over the clippers kind of caught him with their pants down out of the all-star break yeah they're still not world beaters sacramento but as long as they're fighting and they're winning with bays playing you should probably add him i see no reason not to i mean the scoring is going to come down there's no way he's going to keep hitting shots at this clip. The three-pointers will also dip when they stop going in all the time. But just ignore the points for a minute. 
Rebounds have been good. Steals have been good. Getting a block here and there. He's doing the 3 and D stuff. But mostly the D stuff. And that is the stuff we like. Oklahoma City, they're a non-issue here from fantasy. Portland, they're generally a non-issue as well. Uh, sounds like Damian Lillard wants to be back in the next couple of ball games, but doubtful for this one. In fact, I think he might even be out already. The Pacers on the other side. It's Justin Holiday time. All you Aaron Holiday lovers, I don't care. I care not for you. I'm on Team Justin. I just like his fantasy game more, you know? Aaron Holiday put up his nice numbers when he was able to orchestrate the offense a little bit. Playing off ball, I don't I don't think suits him, and I don't know that it suits them defensively either. I think Justin Holiday is going to have a pretty nice stretch here for Indiana. Lakers are in Golden State. LeBron is out, which means who the hell knows what. Rajon Rondo actually played quite a few minutes the last time LeBron sat for a game. God help us all if that's what happens for L.A. here. This is the I'm just going to take a rest while we play tanking Warriors. It almost feels like maybe the dubs called ahead. We're just like, we're not going to try to win this game. Can't you see we're going for draft picks? You do whatever the hell you want, and you can walk out of here with a W. Probably going to get a lot of Anthony Davis, and the only thing you hope for, I guess, is that it's not an insane blowout and everybody gets to play the fourth quarter. Hopefully Marquise Chris is healthy. We know he went to the locker room late in that last game for the Warriors after scoring a, another 20-10 and 10 night. I haven't heard anything about an injury there, but we will monitor it. And after hearing that Steph Curry was making his return on March 1st, Steve Kerr came out to sort of tamp down those expectations by saying, look, he needs to scrimmage a few times. We don't know if he's going to be ready by March 1st. He's going to play when he's ready to go. So possibly this weekend, maybe it'll be a few more games after that. We still don't really know. My initial call was mid-March. Sounds like I might still be on the late side, but... I might not miss by a full two weeks. It might be a little bit sooner than that. Regardless, it sounds like he's going to be playing before your fantasy playoffs, and that is a big, big deal. But not yet. Draymond Green, by the way, probable for this game, so that changes the way they run their offense as well. We'll see if Damian Lee can keep his head above water as the Warriors start to bring back some of their injured bodies. Steph is going to change things dramatically on that team, and I just wonder what it's going to do to Andrew Wiggins. Does it potentially make him better to play off ball a little bit more, focus more on slashing, driving, cutting, not orchestrating, maybe a little bit more defensively as well? He's a good, pretty good defender, actually. Better than credited because we all get so locked into the fact that he's just been a letdown on offense throughout his career that we've overlooked the fact that he's not a terrible defensive player. But anyway, that's your Thursday Somewhat uninspiring ball games. Certainly some stuff to watch, right? We're watching Philadelphia to see what's going on without Simmons or Embiid. Can Shake Milton do it again? Sacramento has some fantasy storylines. Indiana has some fantasy storylines. The Warriors always have some weird-ass thing going on. But from an actual basketball standpoint, big spreads, clunky games. I don't know that you need to watch any of this stuff. Wouldn't be terrible to see what Milton Bays look like. Opportunity to watch a game live. You always can pick something up that way. And we're going to go ahead and put a pin in this one. It's going to be a shorter show because tomorrow will be a longer one. Fridays, we always do the big weekend review. We'll preview the weekend. We've got some things to promo here. 
So Friday's shows always are in that 45 to 60 minute range, but this one will just give you a little bit of a respite. Wednesday recap, Thursday preview, call it a day. I'm excited though. Weird things going on. Injuries, guys, popping up. This is a very strange time of year. It's not the silly season yet because teams haven't just decided to stop playing people. Everybody's just hurt all of a sudden. And it's hurting me, and it's reminding me why Roto is the way to go. Maybe I'll do a Roto rant here. Is it time for a rant? Do we have time for one rant before we wrap up the podcast? Sure we do. I'm... I'm in charge of this damn thing anyway. Head-to-head. Guys, I know we all have a head-to-head league. Some of us love it. I don't really love it. I have one because it's one I've been in for a long time. And frankly, I'm, I'm, for a long time, I mostly played in whatever league that I could cull together. Now, it's a different, it's a different era where working here at HoopBall and having a podcast, I could basically put the league together in a day and a half, pretty easily. But, the, you know, we all have our head-to-head leagues. Guys, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy to have a head-to-head league where everything is determined by the playoffs. Head-to-head commissioners probably set some prizes for the regular season. Maybe half the pot gets split up two-thirds, one-third for the teams in first and second place? I don't know. I mean, they get a playoff, a first-round buy in the playoffs, so I don't know that they need more incentive than that. But just something. Weekly record, some something, something to, to dole out a little bit of the cash prize over the course of the regular season. Because the fact that we get to this point in the year where luck is... Collo- I mean, every week in head-to-head, luck plays a pretty good-sized role. But you sort of, you can wipe it out of your mind. You can just say, you know what? Everybody deals with injuries at some point. So if mine come in early January and I have bad luck in early January and I get my butt kicked for a couple of weeks, whatever, because it's going to happen to all 12 teams in my league at some point. And eventually I'm going to be able to pick on one of those teams when they're missing three or four guys. But when it happens in the playoffs and you got... 1200 or 2400 I don't know what your buy-in is in your league, and you got like a couple thousand dollars on the line. The team that just gets a little bit unlucky with injuries in mid-March, maybe they were the best team all year? That's crummy. Head-to-head needs to have rewards somewhere along the way. With Roto, if a guy gets hurt in mid-March, whatever, it's the same as the guy getting hurt in November. You got the the stuff out of them that you asked for all season long. You compiled it for four and a half, five months. And if they miss a couple of ball games, it doesn't matter when it happens. In fact, it's almost better for it to happen at the end of the year because you can look at the standing and say, well, all right. I mean, take Brandon Clark, for instance. There's no good, there's nothing good about this. But what if you're on a team where you're in great position in field goal percent? Maybe you don't even need to hold him at this point. I mean, I would. Because if JJJ is out longer than Clark, then he's going to go nuts. But you catch my meaning, right? You're gunning for statistical categories at this point in Roto. So guys getting hurt, you might even be able to just part with them. Or you hang on. Like, what if you have Cat in Roto? The fact that he might not play in a head-to-head fantasy playoff first week is the only thing that matters right now for those teams. 
For Roto, you're just like, all right, well, hopefully he plays a handful of games between now and the end of the year because, you know, he's my first-round pick. I can't drop him just because he has a, a busted wrist. He's cat. I take what I can get out of him. Doesn't that make more sense? Where an ill-timed injury can't completely obliterate something you've worked for for 20 weeks? It's not good in Roto to have a guy get hurt. It's still bad. It's still going to cost you games from one of the players you'd rather be running out there. But you can stash them. You can pick up a replacement. You can find other guys on the wire right now that are playing well and still keep the guy on your team that you want to, well, I don't know, see if they play again in the not-too-distant future. I beg of you all. You've probably... I mean, I feel like it's 70-30 people playing head-to-head over Roto. I'm well aware that Roto is the less traveled path in fantasy everything, except maybe baseball. I don't know if the baseball, I'm fairly certain Roto is the default. Basketball, I know most of you guys are playing head-to-head, and most of what we talk about on this show is perfectly relevant for head-to-head. But please, go try a free Roto League next year if you haven't done it before. It's going to change the way you look at fantasy basketball. Yeah, you don't get to beat up on your buddy and mock them at the end of the week. You don't get that, that, the crazy highs and lows of Sunday night. But I'll tell you what, when it gets to the end of the year, and you've been busting it, listening to podcasts, doing podcasts, if, if you're those of us on the other side of the fourth wall here, working hard, making all your pickups, making your trades, buying low, selling high all season long, you should be rewarded for all of that work when you bought low on crap, I don't know who. Maybe you bought low on Cat. You shouldn't have to drop him. You should be rewarded for the time you've put in all season long and not punished for a tiny bit of bad luck at the wrong time. I know you guys aren't going to listen. I know you guys are going to keep playing your head-to-head leagues, and that's fine. But Roto just... It's just more fair. Simple as that. It's just more fair. There's so much strategy to it. And it's all season long. It's everything you've done all season long rolled into one easy-to-interpret number. And you can put a games cap on it. Another reason that injuries don't kill you. Anyway, I promised it was going to keep this one shorter. Squeezed a rant in there. Still a brief, a more brief-than-usual podcast. Please do rate and review the show. Uh, not going to promo anything else today. I'm going to throw them all into tomorrow's pod. This is your break from promos. I am Dan Bespris. Please do give me a follow on Twitter, at D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Closing in on 5,100, which is pretty cool. Very weird, but also quite cool. And this was your Thursday edition of Fantasy NBA Today, a HoopBall presentation. Hoop-Ball.com is the website. Check them out at HoopBallFantasy on Twitter, at HoopBallTweets. Hey, two new shows debuting for HoopBall within the next 7 to 10 days. That's pretty cool news. Tell you more about those on tomorrow's show as well. Enjoy your Thursday, everybody. Enjoy the relative respite from interesting basketball. Follow those key players we were talking about, and we will discuss them manana. So long, everybody.
This has been a Hoop Ball presentation.